Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. The Big Red Bench. Saturday and Sunday from 6 p.m. Gork's Red FM. Welcome to a brand new edition of the Big Red Bench Women in Sport Podcast. I'm your host, Jerry McCarthy. You can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at McCarthy 74 This week's guests include AFLW expert and coach to current and former Irish Aussie Rules professionals, Mike Curran. He's back to give us all the latest inside news on a very important couple of weeks for Irish players ahead of the new AFLW season. Resident Big Red Bench Formula 1 expert Sarah McKenzie returns for her weekly slot to review an incident-packed Monaco GP and look ahead to next weekend's Azerbaijan Grand Prix around the city of Baku. We've all the reaction from Cork's TG Cahar Munster Ladies Football Championship final win over Kerry. Cork Senior Camogie Manager Matthew Toomey reviews Cork's All-Ireland win over Clare and previews their upcoming clash away to Dublin. Cork Intermediate Manager Trevor Coleman is also on the bench to review his county's All-Ireland win away to Wexford. And we finish with head coach at DCU Mercy Basketball Club and formerly involved with the Dublin GA senior setup, Mark Ingle, who comes on the bench to tell us all about an exciting rip and run basketball summer camp. That's all to come on this week's Women in Sport podcast. AFLW Ireland expert and coach to current and former Irish Aussie Rules professionals Mike Curran is back on this week's Big Red Bench to talk about an expansion coup as Aileen Gilroy moves to Hawthorne, the end of the expansion period and what it means for the AFLW teams, what the new sign-in trade period might bring and an update on how the Irish players Mike is currently working with are faring ahead of a possible move down under. Now, as ever, we're absolutely thrilled and delighted to be joined here on the Big Red Bench by the busiest man on the planet, let alone sporting circles, but definitely because it's such a hugely busy time in the Australian women's rules over in Australia. AFLW season kicking into action, CBA, a lot of things going on through the expansion period and an article on the womens.afl.com official website. Interest has definitely been peaked. CBA to deliver new wave of new Irish imports. Sarah Black on the official womens.afl women's uh, website was talking to none other than the big, big red benches, big red benches, Mike Grant. Mike, how are you? Hey, Jerry, how are you? It's hardly been a week since we were chatting already. It's, it's, it's mad. <laughs> I would imagine it is, but look, let's get into it. You've um, you were very some very interesting comments on your on the official AFLW Women's Web. Congratulations on being recognised on that for the work that you're doing and have been doing with a lot of Irish players. This coming seven days, there's a lot of official announcements. There's a lot of things about to happen. Um, what can you tell us, just from your own point of view, about what who you're not necessarily who you're working with, but the number of people that you're working with, and just what the CBA has done, uh, and just just the, the craziness going into a brand new season. Of course, yeah. Well, I suppose initially when the CBA was finalised last week and uh, as we touched on already previously, everybody was waiting on it. The question was asked somewhere, would this see, lead to an increase in interest uh, from Irish players here at home? And I suppose categorically the answer to that became yes very quickly. And AFL Women's have picked up on that there today. I suppose here at home, personally, I've been working with a, a large group of elite Irish female athletes across the last year anyway and on an ongoing basis and these are players that are aiming to go over this season um, 
next season and even into 2024 and beyond. And that was prior to the, the CBA being announced. But when that pay increase was announced and the CBA was finalised, I suppose, yeah, we definitely saw a surge in messages here. But to me, directly on WhatsApp and to our social media channels on AFLW Ireland, um, and that really, I suppose, was a culmination of uh, players that might have been thinking about it in the back of their minds and, and suddenly it be became very much to the forefront of their thoughts or players that we might have talked to previously that is something they might consider. Suddenly it has become very much a, a point of interest and there's a lot more curiosity to find out what it's all about. So, yeah, um, all, the interest was there already. But the new CBA and obviously that headline pay increase of almost double, that 94% pay increase has led to a lot more Irish players across a range of sports. Now we're talking LGFA, camogie, rugby, soccer players, the, the full remit um, of players have been in touch, just wondering uh, and wanting to find out a bit more. And especially when they see the returning Irish players and, and news of new Irish players potentially heading over this season as well. So yeah, it's all very exciting at the minute. Uh, there's great interest there growing interest there from my own personal point of view I suppose I'm working with a group of players uh, for this season which is literally a few weeks away at this stage and uh, we're hopefully going to see some very imminent announcements in relation to those players and we could have maybe up to five players that I've been working with personally in exploring AFLW opportunities on their behalf hopefully having um, contracts officially announced in the next week or so so that's very exciting for everyone. Indeed it is. It's a very busy, a very hectic time and a very exciting time, as you said. But why not, Mike? This is an opportunity for players and women, whatever their background in sport, if they're adaptable to the AFLW, here's an opportunity of a career, a professional sporting career. So why not take the chance? For sure. And look, at I suppose the, the one thing that all the Irish players have said down through all the seasons so far, we might have touched on it before, is, is the one thing that they all take back from it, the one thing they all enjoy and they all love is being able to say that they're playing sport as a professional. Mm. And up to now, for all the existing Irish girls, that's been fantastic. So even for the existing players that have one, two, three seasons done already, this pay increase is, is massive news, I suppose, for them. And it, it makes it far more stable in terms of a, a career choice. Um, but for new players looking in and going forward, I suppose, yeah, it definitely now is a, a lucrative and, and realistic career option, uh, particularly if you look maybe two or three seasons ahead, when we get to 2026, we're going to be looking at fully professional AFLW with full year contracts. So uh, the salaries will increase likewise, and they will then be in a position to be a full-time athlete throughout the year. And that's something that excites the existing players and the new players and the, the future players that are looking at it at the moment. Wow, like uh, what, what, what's coming down the line is just fantastic to see, but already we're in the embryonic stage of it and I can appreciate that. And as you said, because of the cabin, because of all the announcements that are coming, it's going to be in a very, very busy and hectic couple of weeks. But we've already had one major expansion coup involving an Irish player moving to Hawthorne. We had, look, at it was expansion signing period for the last week. We got through six of the seven days without really much Irish news at all. And I tell you, if if Raj and La Rochelle stole the Champions Cup at the weekend, uh, Hawthorne stole Aileen Gilroy at the last minute um, today, literally a couple of hours before the deadline, they swooped in and uh, did a deal with Aileen Gilroy to take her from North to Hawthorne. And that is the biggest news so far in terms of Irish players, but possibly the nearly the biggest news of the full expansion signing period. And I know that North or Hawthorne had uh, spoken to Aileen a number of weeks back and they'd made a serious play for her back then. And she has 
almost committed to, to North and to State North at that stage. And then literally at the last moment, again, as we've just mentioned, a deal was done. And look at North are devastated, Hawthorne are delighted. I was mentioning Aileen earlier there. She's thrilled to be looking forward to a new chapter in her footy career. And her own motto is, what's for you won't pass you by. So I think she's had an unbelievable offer there, a life-changing offer from Hawthorne. And, and you couldn't begrudge her one of the top players to have played the game um, over there across the last number of years. So yeah, that is the biggest single news in terms of the ex expansion period, which otherwise was relatively calm mm. in terms of the Irish players. But you've got Aileen played 28 games for North Melbourne across three seasons, including playing every single game this year in 2022. She's been in the top 10 at, in the Kangaroos Best and Fairest every season since she went over there, including being in the top five in the first year. She literally was only in the named in the top 10 on Saturday night, and two days later, she's gone to another club. So um, a big loss to North. Obviously, her huge kicks off half back and her meter gaining kicks, which saw her in the top um, of all the AFL players for that particular stat and her running off half-back have been a huge feature for North. That'll be badly missed by them. But on the flip side, what an asset she will be to Hawthorne as an expansion club. She's going there now as a marquee player. So one of their top players and one of the leading defenders in the competition. So Alien will be in different colours, but no doubt uh, we'll see the same passion and determination on the oval. Indeed, we will. And no better player, as you said, deserves it for her consistency alone for North over the last three years. Aileen Gilroy, as you said, a life-changing moment for her to go to Hawthorne. Congratulations to her. Um, it's fantastic and it just shows what is possible. You mentioned, Mike, expansion period had ended. Now, we know that North have lost a hugely important player, but now that the expansion period is over, what other teams have lost out the most in, uh, during this period? Because there's been a lot of movement. There has. And look, to summarise it, I suppose all 14 existing clubs were bracing themselves to lose players in the ex to the expansion sides across the expansion signing period, which has taken place across the last week. So without getting too confusing on it, each of the top seven teams from the past two seasons combined could lose up to four players if they were in Victoria, Queensland or Western Australia, or up to eight players if they were in New South Wales or South Australia. And that would be due to the only one team being in each of those states. And each of the bottom seven teams for the past two seasons combined could lose up to three players in Victoria, Queensland, Western Australia, and six players in New South Wales and South Australia. So that's a bit of a, a mouthful to get your head around. But as it turns out, a, a number of clubs have lost the maximum number of possible players. So Gold Coast have lost three. North Melbourne, who we've talked about, have lost four. St Kilda have lost three. Collingwood have lost four. Uh, so they're the clubs that, that have hit the limit in terms of the players they can lose. Some of the other clubs then, we've had the likes of Fremantle losing three um, out of the four maximum. So they were nearly there. Adelaide have lost three, but all three of those have gone across town to Port Adelaide. So if, if there's, that's going to feed into the huge rivalry between those clubs already when they meet. Uh, Brisbane Lions, if we look at the rest of the top clubs, have lost two. So they'll be relatively happy with that, I think. And most particularly to have held on to Ordo Dwyer, who was in the headlines a couple of weeks ago. And if we head over to Sydney, GWS have lost three players to Sydney Swans. So another big cross-city rivalry um, forming there in New South Wales as well. So expansion signing is now over. The four expansion teams at the end of this period have the following amount of players. Sydney have 19, Hawthorne have 16, Essendon have 12, and Port Adelaide have 12. So now we roll into what's called the sign and trade period, and that commences tomorrow morning. And that's when we'll see announcements from all of the other clubs outside of the expansion clubs and that's when we likely see a lot of the Irish players uh, either announced as being re-signed 
or in some cases traded and there's some potential big trades coming down the line um, and there'll be a flurry of activity on that front. We'll also see some of those new players, including the players I've been working with, announced across this week and next week. So we'll expect to see a lot more Irish announcements now following on from today. My God, you're going to be busy. I mean, you're busy at the best of times anyway, Mike. But this is, as you said, now that the expansion period is ended, now that the sign and trade period is opening, we're recording this on a Monday of this week and Tuesday is officially the day that the uh, sign and trade period opens. Um, there's there's going to be high profile trades. There's going to be a lot of headline acts as well. Any Irish uh, particular, uh, any players that you might see, or I know you can't say specifically out and out about the players you're working with, but any existing Irish players that you might uh, think may well be on the move? Oh, I think so. Look, I think it's it's been widely reported um, already that the, the Kelly sisters are going to be on the move from West Coast. So I think we're going to see Neve going to, um, or Neve is probably going to go to an AFL dynasty club that we've been talking about previously at the end of last season, which is very exciting for her. And Sister Grace is heading to Melbourne to one of the clubs down there, by all accounts. Um, and then you've the likes of, we know Lauren McGee's not going back to Melbourne. And if she does decide to head back to Oz, there are at least three teams um, who are currently looking to get her on their books and they're a combination of teams based in Victoria and New South Wales. So yeah, I think we'll, we'll definitely see some trades and after what's happened today with Aileen or um, anything is possible. So it would, there, there may still be a couple of surprises at the last minute, but this trade period runs a little bit longer. And of course, following that then, we have the, the draft, uh, which bizarrely will take place after the start of the season and we've already seen the draft combines taking place across the states this weekend just passed. So that's where all the best young players in each state have been put through their paces and done their 2K time trials and that. And all the scouts will have been down looking at those. So, yeah, it's, it's going to be full on from here to the, to the start of preseason. And the, the big Irish interest, I suppose, will be across the next two weeks, pretty much. And we'll be looking to see where those existing Irish players go, where, uh, who and where these new Irish players will go. And um, we'll see what that final number of Irish players will end up at 14 uh, at the end of last season. Potentially at the minute, by my guesstimate, we're going to be at about 21, 20 at least. And that's that's absolutely brilliant and phenomenal and exciting to think that we'll have that many players to look forward to in AFL women's or AFLW season seven, as it's now officially called. Wow, wow, wow. That's all I can say, Mike. I mean, you've summed it up as best as you possibly could there. I cannot wait for this time next week uh, on the Big Red Bench where we get to dissect some of those big trades, some of those big moves, and as you said, analyse all those fantastic Irish athletes and see where they're going to end up before we even get to preseason. We're talking at the moment about one of the most hectic and but historic periods in AFLW2. And uh, how good is it? does it feel to be part of all of that, being immersed in it? Oh, exactly. Look, look at it. It's, it's brilliant. And as I say, it's it, it's absolutely crazy at the minute. But the, the real stars here are the Irish players. And to see them going back to their clubs, getting new clubs, getting just rewards for all their efforts. As you say, this level of excitement, not even in pre-season. We have pre-season to come and then we have AFLW season seven to come as well. So from here on into the rest of the year, it's going to be a roller coaster. And I look forward to talking about it on the Women's Sport podcast. And we look forward to hearing all your expert analysis. Uh, I'm going to let you go now because you need a break and probably need to sit down for a few minutes because between here and the next few days are going to be incredibly hectic for you. As ever, uh, on behalf of everybody here in Cork Street FM, Big Red Bench, thank you so much, Mike Cran, AFLW Ireland, coach to the stars. And uh, I, I look forward, I've never looked forward to talking to you more than I do next week, but we're, 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 we're counting the days already. 
Thanks so much, Jerry. Likewise. The Big Red Bench. Saturday and Sunday from 6pm. Big Red Bench Formula 1 expert Sarah McKenzie returns for her weekly slot and to review this past weekend's Monaco Grand Prix. Sarah speaks to me about the wet conditions that led to plenty of frustration around the Monaco circuit. More heartbreak for Ferrari and Charles Leclerc, plus a horrible race day for Haas. And how Red Bull's Sergio Perez proved his worth after playing second fiddle to Max Verstappen in Barcelona. Sarah also briefly looks ahead to the upcoming Azerbaijan GP. Delighted to be joined by the Big Red Bench's resident Formula One expert, Sarah McKenzie, for another weekly slot to look back at the Monaco GP and everything that happened. Uh, Sarah, you're very welcome back. How are you? I'm good, thanks. Yeah, just about recovered from the uh, drama of yesterday. <laughs> yeah, I mean, let's before we, we, we get into it, obviously uh, it was expected to be a procession, but the weather and the tyre choice and the uh, mistakes and lots of other things made it a far more interesting, longer GP than we expected in Monaco. But uh, before we get into it, the results of, if you have, if you don't already know, Sergio Perez for the Red Bull won, taking 25 points. Carlos Sainz Jr. for Ferrari was in second, 1.5 seconds behind. Max Verstappen in the Red Bull was third. Charles Leclerc, uh, the home homegrown boy, was in the Ferrari in fourth. And uh, George Russell continuing his fantastic um, streak, finishing in fifth place. All that means in the Drivers' Championship, Verstappen leads on 125 points, followed by Charles Leclerc on 116. Sergio Perez up to third now on 110. George Russell sitting in there at fourth on 84, and Carlos Sainz Jr. and the other Ferrari on 83. And in the constructors, Red Bull leading the way, 235 points from Ferrari on 199. Mercedes 134, McLaren and Alfa Romeo wrapping up the top five. Only one place to start, Sarah, when it comes to Monaco this past weekend. The wet conditions, which led to all the frustration. Uh, what was your take on it? I I think it was eye opening because you know we blamed a lot of the sort of race director drama and questionable decisions last year on Michael Massey, and I think we all felt pretty justified. But actually, there's been some weird stuff this year too, and I think you know Monaco was definitely no exception. Um, obviously, you know, driver safety is absolute paramount, especially on a track like, track like Monaco. But I think pretty much everyone was very frustrated by, you know, the amount of delays that were seen yesterday. And it turned out that it was reported at one stage on Sky that a difference of opinion between the two race directors was apparently what caused the extended delay to the proceedings, which you know, that should never be the case. Um, there are endless, endless regulations in Formula One and surely the goal of the regulations is to remove ambiguity and the need to have differences of opinion. But it really didn't go that way at all yesterday. And I think, unfortunately, it does nothing to, to help the kind of opinion that red tape slows F1 down. And, you know, yesterday it was absolutely true. I agree with you 100%. And uh, for those that didn't see it, obviously the race finished. There's a certain time limit on Formula One mm-hmm. uh, Grand Prix. So people don't know that and it reached the time limit because of the bad weather, because uh, of the red flags, because of the Michael Schumacher crash and because of a lot of other things. It was frustrating. But in the midst of all that frustration and heavy rain, yet more Ferrari heartbreak. I'm sure you probably heard my screams yet again. Uh, at the TV screen, um, it wasn't all about Ferrari on the day, believe it or not, listeners. I know it, tur- it is turning into the German McCarthy Ferrari rant session. But uh, take me through your take on this, Sarah, your expert opinion, because for people who didn't see it, uh, Leclerc was called into the pits 
Uh, the box box signal went up on the screen, but his teammate was already ahead of him. And then just as he's turning into the pits, you hear uh, the, tech, the engineer or whoever it was saying to him, no, 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 stay out. Then you hear a lot of beeps and beeps and expletives. Thankfully, we didn't hear it uh, for the children watching. <laughs> but I mean, okay, it's another Grand Prix. It's another weekend. I mean, Leclerc, Ferrari, he's every right to be angry about this, doesn't he? Oh, he does, 100%. And I think, in you know, we've been talking about this the last couple of weeks, whether it's the pressure on the drivers that they're not performing or whether it's, you know, them not being able to handle the car. And I, we've actually kind of forgotten about the third element, which was, you know, very stark this weekend, which is actually Ferrari themselves as a team are not actually performing at 100%. And someone made an interesting point, I thought, yesterday, which is that, you know, Red Bull and Mercedes, you don't really see them make those kind of errors very exactly. often. It's strategic errors are very limited in their frequency, whereas with teams... Um, that are sort of catapulted into these leadership positions actually they're not really used to operating in that space and they do make errors and you know we might say oh well it's Ferrari it's not good enough but it's a Ferrari that has been underperforming for years so actually this isn't the norm for them Mm -hmm. and I think that's a really good point it was truly heartbreaking for Leclerc in particular I think you know he really does have a curse when it comes to his home race that was the first time he had even finished it in Formula One. So I guess, you know, he's slowly, slowly getting there. But yeah, it was absolutely heartbreaking for him. And, and it's always a shame when a driver suffers because of a team error. But I guess at the end of the day, it is actually a team sport, Um, you know, when you think about it. It is. And not just uh, Leclerc as well, because a lot of th- one of the things that you've you mentioned to me before we started recording as well, Sainz, uh, mm-hmm. Carlos Sainz has received a, a third impending penalty. Yeah, and, you know, people initially thought, oh, well, it's, you know, it's it's him making mistakes. And, you know, to be fair, we have seen him make his fair share of mistakes this year. But actually, the FIA ruled that um, essentially he was receiving grossly incorrect messages from his pit wall as far as the gaps between him and other drivers, which is what actually caused him to impede other drivers. And it gets to a point where, you know, there's points on your license, there's 10 place grid penalties, Again, like these are all preventable sort of in any other sport, you'd probably call them unforced errors. I think this is, it's something that Ferrari are going to have to clamp down on because it's no point, you know, it's no good having the best car on the grid if you can't actually get get the win out of it, whether it's you or the drivers or the car itself. I think they just have to kind of get it together, really. They really do. And it's that it's later in the season, Sarah, as you know, when it gets to the business of the business end and, you know, you're still in with a shout, these are the moments and mistakes that they, they cost you points and money on the day, but they mm-hmm. cost you championships, constructor and drivers. 100%. And it is, at the end of the day, we're seeing it from George Russell probably more than anyone else, but like consistency is key. And, you know, that's just the name of the game. And they're going to have to, I think it's a case of learning the hard way, but Ferrari are going to have to continue learning the hard way until they develop that consistency. Because that essentially is what's going to win them championships. Um, And also the lack of it is going to lose it for them as well. Totally agree. 
Yes, so the frustration in my voice will remain <laughs> another few weeks until Mercedes or somebody uh, gets 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 some new parts and just flies off into the distance to challenge Max. But I, I don't I don't I don't know if that's going to happen. Um, it wasn't all bad, even though you might think that as a Ferrari fan over the weekend. Sergio Perez, you've mentioned him before many times on the po- uh, on the podcast and how popular a person he mm. is and a real down to earth, and he seems so genuine and even in the post and and, and pre match coverage. Um, of the Formula One on Sky at the weekend as well. He was, you know, he comes across as a really, really nice guy. And, you know, uh, he's played second fiddle to first happen, as you've said, but uh, especially in Barcelona, but not this weekend. No, and I was delighted for him. It was really, you know, almost instant redemption, sort of, which is unusual in Formula One, but it really was, I think, you know, a lot of it down to some very good strategizing by Red Bull. Obviously, they pulled off the overcut with both cars, and then that's how they ended up actually getting the jump on the Ferraris in the first place. And that worked fantastically well. But then Sergio, to be fair to him, did have to hold on to that lead. Um, you know, he was being being chased by science towards the end, and he held on to it. Kind of a slightly worrying moment with a, a big lockup um, yeah. after the restart, but he managed, you know, he's the king of tire management. So if anyone was going to hold it together after that, it was him. And I think it was, you know, there was eight minutes to go on the, the timer and there was only two seconds covering the top four drivers at that point. So, you know, with that kind of pressure on waning tires, you're trying to win your first ever Monaco Grand Prix. I'm absolutely delighted for him. I think that's a great performance. It certainly was. Um, let's quickly talk about Michael Schumacher because he's somebody we've you brought up and you were correct in bringing up that maybe his seat was in jeopardy. There was an injection of pace. There was a, an increase in performance. The crash, for those people that didn't see it, it looked a lot worse than it was at the end. The car basically split in two. Mm-hmm. Um, what's your, your judgment of that and how it happened? Because to me, it looked like driver error. Yeah, I think, yeah, I think that's a fair assessment. I think, strangely enough, I suppose, in case people aren't aware, the so the car did basically break into it was supposed to do that so there are it sounds sort of against the run of logic but actually in certain circumstances if the car hits a barrier in or any obstacle in a certain way it is actually supposed to do that to save the driver so um i think it, it looked very scary certainly but thankfully everything worked as it was supposed to and he was fine i think it just looked, it was particularly unfortunate because None of us had actually noticed, but Kevin Magnuson had just retired it's also. Like walked, yeah, the, the shot was of Schumacher <laughs> going into the barrier, the car exploding in half. And then you see Magnuson walking out without any gear and I'm going, oh, that's terrible. I, didn't, yes. I, I couldn't believe it. Yeah, yeah no, literally nobody had spotted the poor Kevin <laughs> Magnuson had retired. Um, so I think, you know, it's tough. I think Mick Schumacher is probably pushing himself to the very limit. And I think he's been... This is sort of the second time now, I suppose, the the crash with Vettel was another example where he just pushed it that little bit too far. And again, he's like learning where that edge is. But again, similar to Ferrari, like learning the hard way. And really, that's kind of the only way that you learn in Formula One. And it really, at the, at the end of the day, is going to come down to how much more learning time Haas are willing to give him, what other pressures they have, who else is knocking on their door saying, hey, I think I can give you better than what this guy can give you. So I just wonder, yeah. Sarah, sorry for interrupting. Yeah. I just wonder, is it his surname? And I mean this with the greatest respect to this mm. Wacker family. Like, I wonder how much his surname is keeping him in a job at the minute, because if that was anyone else and they didn't have the money and the prestige and that and probably behind him, they may, Haas can't go on forever like this. 
No, they certainly can't. And, you know, especially like they are an American team too. And there's about to be, as of next year, there's going to be three races in the US. And I imagine they probably have some US-based drivers who are pretty aggressively knocking on their door. And, you know, it gets harder and harder to say no to that if you are becoming a bit disenchanted with the with any of the drivers that you currently have in your seat so I think the summer break will be very interesting time to see what comes out of that yeah that's fair um look we can't let the week pass without your favorite pinup driver Mr Hamilton Sir <laughs> Lewis of Hamilton um your assessment of his performance because I know he was clipped at one stage um mm. and it looked like his front wing might have you know might have upset the rhythm but it was fine but overall there wasn't really very much you could do where he was because there was no all overtaking but overall what, what was your assessment of his performance this weekend in, in Monaco yeah I think you know it was fine uh I think you know the the tip with Akon as you said wasn't kind of the end of the world I think the unfortunate thing for him was that he was essentially sandwiched towards the I suppose the kind of final third of the Grand Prix between Alonso and Akon and Fernando Alonso had basically been told to slow down um by Alpine and he he did that he was running three seconds slower than the carriers around him per lap which is absolutely pedestrian especially around Monaco and you can't you just I mean you really can't pass there it is so so difficult um and unfortunately by the time Alonso kind of took off again Lewis's performance for whatever reason whether it was tires or whatever else kind of fell away and he just didn't he never chased him after that so I think, you know, it was a bit flat, but, uh, you know, overall, I would say not the worst. Um, and you kind of just go on to tobacco and hope he's able to, to get a bit more out of the car. Indeed. Now, Baku, the Azerbaijan GP takes place on Sunday, the 12th of June at midday uh, European, Central European time uh, in the Baku city circuit. It's another city circuit. We're going to preview that, um, obviously, on uh, on next week's show, uh, Sarah. But just very briefly, uh, who's where's the advantage lay here? Is this going to suit... The Red Bulls, or is it kind of a street circuit again? Is it more is it more in tune to the Ferraris, considering how well they did in Monaco? I think it'll be interesting because it is. Um, I, I think really, if Ferrari had kept it together in Monaco, I think the Red Bulls, you know, no offense to them, but they shouldn't technically have been able to win that race. Like it shouldn't have been, it shouldn't have been as much of a competition as it was, in my opinion. And I think Baku is potentially a chance for Ferrari to, if they can hold it together to actually pull off a really strong performance again particularly because overtaking on street circuits is difficult i i mean <laughs> who knows if it's going to be as nuts as monaco was we said we, we thought monaco was going to be boring and here we are um but i i'm curious i think there's there's always a good vibe in the back back of grand prix and the drivers seem to like it so i'll be curious to see how that one turns out as will I with my Ferrari hat and t-shirt on as I'm <laughs> just praying there isn't any mistakes along the pit line, uh, the pit lane or anything like that. But uh, yeah, part yep. of that actually, uh, Baku, it's a stunningly beautiful uh, city. Mm. So the circuit certainly looks good. Let's hope we get a, another incident packed race. Um, well, there you go. Another another weekly slot done and another Grand Prix. We, we got more than we bargained for. So it's actually been very entertaining so far this season. Where can we find uh, the rest of your online content, Sarah? Yes, so I'm actually very excited to say that I'll be interviewing W Series driver Sarah Moore this week. So that interview is both happening and coming out on my YouTube channel this week. So if you follow me on Instagram at macgram underscore and subscribe to my YouTube channel, 
you'll be the first to know when that comes out. So as far as the YouTube channel, if you just search my full name, Sarah McKenzie, you'll find me there. Excellent stuff. Once again, here on the big red bench, uh, our resident Formula One slot. Thank you, uh, Formula One expert, Sarah McKenzie. We'll talk to you again next week. The big red bench. Saturday and Sunday from 6 p.m. Matthew Toomey was delighted with his Cork senior side's display in seeing off Clare in the Glen Dimplex All-Ireland Camogie Championship at Parky Ring last weekend. Matthew spoke to the Big Red Bench about Cork's latest victory, preparing for Dublin in the next round of the championship and much more. Cork's intermediate manager Trevor Coleman is another Camogie guest on this week's podcast. Looking back over Cork's all-earned victory away to Wexford and previewing what's in store for his panel over the coming months. Delighted to be joined on the line here on the Big Red Bench now by the Cork Senior Camogie Manager, Matthew Toomey, following his side's successful uh, Glen Dimplex All-Ireland Championship win over Clare 217-25 at a sun-kissed parky ring on Saturday evening. Uh, first of all, Matthew, congratulations on the victory. Uh, a side that has given you plenty of trouble in your previous two meetings. Does this victory and does this performance suggest Cork have been, the steady improvement that you've been looking for is is, is happening? Um, hi, John. Um, yeah, I suppose there's, there's an element to that, Holly. Um, there's, there's, there's certainly improvement there. Like um, the month of final, we were down a couple of the players and we didn't want to show our full hand either. Um, so, look, we, I, I think we got a lesson off them that day. Um, yesterday's game, um, like, I, I think we were just, you know, like the scoreline just, it definitely justified. Like we were very, very good at patches, to be fair to them. Um, clear the five weeks on the bounce you could see after about 15 minutes they were very very leggy and um, I suppose we, we, we took control of the game from the start like when we went in half time I think it was 1-8-4 you know, it was all like we turned on half time um, start the second half and we got another goal so the game was kind of as good as gone um, we played very well in patches like there was another good few scores that we left behind us um, but look you, you'd have to be overall I have to be very very happy with us um, yeah, the progression is number one, but the, the results just get the three points on the board, like we're top of the group, which is what we want to do. Like, and you know, that was the, the aim for going on there. It wasn't after I suppose the the most of final it wasn't the most kind of a relaxing environment going on to that game because we knew what we we're going to get after. Yeah, and look, looking at the score, like Amy O'Connor, we don't need to go over again how great a player she is. Two five is a fantastic return. We've spoken about her on the bench before, but from your point of view, the the spread of scores uh, in the rest of the team—that's something that must please you as well from the attacking point of view. It was very pleasing. Yeah, we had a big spread of scores. Um, I think five or six well started score, um, but it was just the manner of the, the scores. Like it was a lot of stuff we're doing in training field, kind of can go yesterday. You know, it's just, you know, starting to come right at the right time. Um, there's an awful lot of work on and you know, create spaces for players um, and getting players the right players on the ball and you know that that worked very very well yesterday so yeah definitely you know Amy but did well but the, the players outside Laura Hayes Laura Tracy Sir Shirley Ashley Thompson putting a ferocious shift again um, Fiona Keaton is excellent you know so just mm. across the board and, and to be fair Ashley Egan was thrown in the deep end um, yesterday inside full back and you know she had an outstanding game yeah, I was going to ask about that your defence especially um, I mean you're, you're restricting a team that had scored quite a few points and you're previously down to 1-6 that's got to be just as pleasing as the attacking side of things and the fact that you'd may have Callan in there playing for the full match at cornerback as well um, a good sign when you can drop players in and out like that and still play well defensively yeah I, I suppose the thing that we learned from last year and from the National League I, I, I've said it before I think we need the squad and you know, there's no plans. You know, the latter stages of this, to not be looking at players who do we bring on. Like, I think we have a good idea. We have a good 22, 23 players. You know, who are all seasoned. No, at this stage, and you know, there's other girls still 
chopping at the best. So that's very pleasing. Um, like scoring wise, um, they got two one in the second half, and the, the point was from a free. The two goals were extremely disappointed, but they were very very uncork like goals to concede. But you know, it's 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 no harm at the same time just to kind of get a good kick in the backside. Mm. You know, even when you're playing well, just to kind of get a a leveler again that we can go back into training on um, Tuesday and, and, and face this on again because look we, we, we can't be complacent in any games you know they were like as I said they were very leggy they were you know a very tired team and we should have kind of drove one on but like we left them back in the game and the comfort side of that every time they scored the goals we went up the field straight away and the next play and got a point which was very pleasing yeah. Um, how much did conditions play a role in last night's game? Because I know, like, it wasn't in the middle of the day, but still for the evening throw, and it was still quite warm and still quite quite humid. I mean, I mean, the cardiovascular work and all the strength and conditioning that you've been doing. I mean, you must have been pleased with that return, considering the conditions. Yeah, it, like, we definitely would stood it all. Like even you know after the game, you could see players, you know, they were they were tired. Like, but you know, there was never a bit in them. You know, there is a ferocious amount of um, uh, strength and conditioning after going through them. That, like they've gone through hell. I'm hoping that their legs will kind of show this now at this stage of the, the campaign. Like that, they, they can withstand that. Like whatever is thrown at them, they will. Um, you know, as, like as you say, we we finished the game strong enough again, which was very pleasing. Um, from another big bonus for you, uh, Matthew, Sarsha McCartan getting on in the second half was uh, another player coming back from injury, along with Orla Cronin, who played well throughout. I mean, two players again um, that you're looking for, you know, you're trying to get them up to full fitness uh, for the latter stages of the championship, hopefully when that time comes. But seeing Sarsha come on uh, must have been pleasing. Very pleasing, yeah, because like I think there were a lot of the games there in the start of the league campaign. She was a kind of a go-to player. Like she was doing mm. herself and Cleaney Healy were very strong. And to get her back on the field last night, you know, was 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 brilliant. Um, Orla got good fifty fifty three minutes, I think, into her. That's great. And like, from what I'm being told now from our medical people, that Keane Healy's ready to go now as well. Um, and Hannah Looney is back in Ireland, so she's she's going training now tomorrow night with us, and or tomorrow night with us, and and Tuesday night with the team. So look, we we'll try and get her back up to speed as much as we can. She'd be a handy squad player now as well. She certainly will. I mean, this is what you want, though, Matthew. Options, options off the bench, options when it comes to team selection. Are you are you feeling even at this early stage of the championship that things are starting to come together for you, notwithstanding the challenges that, that are still ahead? Well, I suppose what we've what we're creating is that we can change it up a bit. Like, you know, we've different options. We like you know, over. We can go A, B, or C. You know, whichever way we want to go. Um, you know, the, the different players bring different options for us, which is which is huge. Um, you know, Hannah obviously brings a different kind of a a way of playing and, and certainly Sorsha does so yeah look, it's, it's, it's like we, we're all concentrating now we're doubling next weekend we won't be you know, looking at anything else like you know <clears throat> all other teams seem to be kind of dropping points um, so like it's something we don't want to do like we're, we're when we're in the position we're in now we want to go straight for the semi-final you know mm. there's, there's no point breathing around the bush with that um, but that's that's as far as we'd be looking for is just get, trying to get a win over Dublin next weekend and then we will be break which will utilise as well and then you know we want from Tipperary left we just want to top the group however we do it you know we just that's the, that's the goal and that's what we're aiming for now Yeah and you've, you've answered my final question but just on that the fact that it's the dubs up next and the fact that they held tip to a draw um, at Parnell Park yesterday I mean this is a serious outfit again coming good uh, you know some decent results and some good performances you'll need to repeat what you did against Clare and if not a bit more Definitely more yeah definitely more like they had a great win against Waterford down in Waterford, which was a big surprise, you know, on paper. Like, but Asians seem to be doing a good job up there. Like, so, 
Yeah, definitely. You know, like Tipperary getting the draw. Like I think Tipperary were very lucky at the death to get the free. Um, so yeah, they're they're going to be a massive challenge again. Like you know, they're, you know, like it's, it's, I suppose this is what we expected from every team. We were we were expecting this kind of a um a challenge from every team. So look, like as I said, like the Dublin know it. So we love have a crack off us and on next Saturday. Like so, you know, we I, as you said, we have to put up that fight for them. And I, I don't have any doubt that the players will. It's just how much they they'll bring to the game. But them knows is the main thing. Like then that that's up for us to make sure they're ready and popping. Ready and popping is right. Well, you're coming off a two seventeen to two five win over Clare. You're in good. Uh, it looks like the the squad is getting stronger with each passing week. So Matthew Toomey to you and the Cork seniors. We wish you all the best next weekend against Dublin. Thanks for your time here on the Big Red Bench. Thanks for everything, Joe. Now, delighted to be joined by the Cork Intermediate Manager Trevor Coleman following his side's fantastic Glen Dimplex All Ireland Championship victory away to Wexford uh, on Saturday. Three fifteen to seven points sounds like a commanding performance, Trevor. Uh, first of all, congratulations. How happy were you with your players' efforts? Uh, Dave, just to be honest, usually happy. You know, the first game was always a worry about how we're going to perform and what way players are going to react. A lot of them were playing probably their first championship game with Cork at that level, you know. So we were usually, usually satisfied with the performance. And again, look, we had six, either seven forwards that scored. We're so shaking once you got 1 1. So our panel, our strength and depth is looking very good and going into the game too we had three injuries we had Aoife uh, Callan is out with concussion um, Daniel Carroll is out with an ankle injury and Alan Holmes is out with tonsillitis so we were down a couple going into the game too which is great that we have threatened death and, and that result your first game is always a big game that you, you need to get a result and it takes the pressure off a small bit even though we won't be taking our foot off the pedal but it, it definitely helps you know and it's just been a way and also being on the road, Trevor, quite a long journey. And sometimes, you know, with these things, you know, you know, you need to make sure that your players are tuned in and ready for the action. And you clearly were. You're up one nine to four at half time, but you sound it sounds like you really kicked on in that second half. Yeah, we kicked on usually. And to be fair, like for the last couple of weeks, some we we've been slow starters for some reason. But we we shortened the warm up yesterday. We changed around a bit. We we let them. We we come out early. We do a warm up. We let the girls go back into the dressing room, have their own space, and we went one. We actually went one three to no score up. So it, it seemed to work. The changing up the warm up. Look, the, the heat yesterday was unbelievable as well. So we shortened up our warm up, which is something we need to probably look at going forward if we're going to start that good with a short warm up. That's where we go. But we're, look, we're constantly, constantly evolving, constantly learning with this team where we knew with them this year. So like they started like a train yesterday. To be fair, them they were they were absolutely outstanding. The work rate was was great, but. We saw it in training in the last couple of weeks. We did, after the month of final, we did a hard four weeks. We played a game every weekend. We played a few of the senior teams. We played Waterford. We played Limerick. Uh, you know, so, and, and they, they went well. So we knew going into the game, we'd everything done. But again, it's not until you get out in the field to play in the real championship battle that you don't know where you are. But, like, it was a nightmare to last week trying to pick a team. An absolute nightmare. Mm. Like we've we 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 we've trusted every one of our panel, which which is great from our point of view. You know, I know there was a lot of goals, very very disappointed, didn't get on the first first team, but we're trying keep trying to drill into them. This is this is going to be a thirty man effort all over the, the full season. You know, the game is coming taking fast. It certainly is, and you sound like you you know the panel's clearly in a very very good place. And like considering the quality of the players that were absent through injury, and the fact that you're still able to pick up that kind of a win is very very encouraging. How much, looking back on it now, Trevor, did you and your management team learn from the National League and the league campaign coming well, into this? We we learned a huge amount. And, and it was great, as as we kept saying every week. We Every game, I think, in the National League, we made we made uh, the, the maximum substitutions. We made the eight subs. 
which gave us time to view players. We released them back to their club then for two weeks uh, just before we got into the nitty-gritty of, of our championship run. And again, that that gave them an old break from the cock setup. It gave them a new lease of life. They came back to us fresher. And we went along, we watched all those games and we could see that the girls, they were buzzing, they were performing. But again, it's all down to performing on the day, which they did for us yesterday. We just need to, need to keep that intensity up and need to keep that, that attitude going. Like, they're, they're all fighting for positions. Like, I, I can hand in half say that we have a play, we have two players for every position and it's, it's not easy to pick it. And coming from a club point of view, you, you're probably never in that situation. And sometimes we're in the county you're not in that situation. But we are, which is, which is absolutely great, you know. It is, and it sounds very encouraging, and it needs to be because uh, you, you've quickly, you know, you're up and running in the first round of the championship, but you don't have much time now because uh, on the 4th of June, you face Kilkenny in Cork, which will be tough to put it mildly, but the start uh, of a run of games where you face Meath, um, and then you have uh, Kildare and uh, Derry thrown in there as well, it's not going to be easy, but how important is it that you carry this performance into, into the Kilkenny game? It's massive that we keep this this performance up, this intensity up. Because I, I believe Kilkenny seniors are playing next weekend, which is probably a bit of a hindrance to us. Because they do use a lot of their their subs from the senior team. But again, look if we've any aspirations of winning in all Ireland or, or where we want to be uh, in August and the seventh of August, we need to be baiting these teams. But again, look, it's nothing's easy at this level or at the county level. So we'll have to knuckle down again for the week and. Look, we'll have to put in a big, big performance, I think, next week against Kilkenny. Yes, it'll help we're at home. But look, we played them in a challenge game at the start of the year. It was 10 million, I think, we played them away. And uh, they're not a bad side at all. You know, any Kilkenny team you play is, is going to be a good team and it's going to be a tough one, you know. But look, we, we have to have confidence and faith in our squad, which we do have. And look, hopefully we can bring the uh, yesterday's performance into Kilkenny in Castle Road again next weekend, you know. Excellent stuff. Well done, Trevor Coleman, to you and the Cork Intermediates winning your opening Glen Diplex All-Ireland Championship game away to Wexford this past weekend uh, and a fantastic performance, 3.15 to 7 points. Looking ahead to that Kilkenny game, we'll be there hopefully to support you and talk to you after that as well. But for now, congratulations and well done. And thanks for being here, We hope to see you all next weekend. Miss the show? Grab the Big Red Bench podcast at redfm.ie. Cork's Red FM. I was in Killarney for the Big Red Bench to report on Cork's TG Cahar Munster LGFA Senior Football Championship final win over Kerry last weekend. I got the immediate aftermatch reaction to Cork's fantastic victory from the captain Maura O'Callaghan, Emma Cleary, Laura O'Mahony and Anya Terry O'Sullivan. But first... Here are managers Shane Ronane from Cork and Declan Quill from Kerry with their post-match thoughts from a sweltering Killarney. Okay, Shane, uh, congratulations. A fantastic victory for Cork, hard-earned in such tough conditions. What's your assessment of your team's performance? Yeah, look, we were very happy overall. Uh, it really was a tough game. Kerry really put it up to us. Um, I know they got back to the start of the second half and we dug it out and I think you know a couple of the changes we made, the fresh legs we brought in, we felt they'd make a big difference today because we have a very strong panel. And I think that proved it there, you know, likes of Rachel Lee coming on there, added great energy to it. Um, you know, I thought, you know, the, you know, putting Maeve back, wing back, work, putting Melissa into midfield. We just needed to freshen it up because we had, we have a lot of bodies out there who put in a lot of work and they, our tackle rate in the first half was through the roof. It was, it was actually higher than it was in the whole Watford game. So um, that was testament to the girls. Like, and we're, look, we're very happy overall. Yeah, we were a bit sloppy up front. We didn't take enough of our chances and we need to be better at that. But look, you know, every day we're trying to go out and improve. And if we were brilliant today, We'd be thinking we're great, and that, that doesn't work. The one day we, the one day we want to finalise this thing all out is when the, we know if we win in All Ireland, and that's the day to be, be able to put in our best performance. We're building towards that, and look, that's that's our, that's our target. We're very happy. Munster titles aren't easy one, 
uh, especially down here in Kerry. And you know, we, we're, we'll enjoy this for the next couple of days, and then we'll get uh, down to thinking about Donegal in a few weeks' time. Because look, these players deserve it. They're putting in unbelievable work. Uh, I'm very, very proud of them. Uh, there's a massive panel there. There's players on that bench today who could probably play for any other team in the county who didn't get a run to our country who could get a who, who didn't get a run today. And like that's testament to the squad that we have. Where's the light of it? It's unbelievable commitment. I heard someone on the week, during the week questioning play, Cork players' commitment. You know, I've heard such rubbish in all my life. Uh, I know a pundit on 2FM, like, how dare they question our players' commitment to what these girls put in week in, week out. You know, uh, astounded to hear that, and I think they got their answer today. Unbelievable commitment from 1 to 30, and the throw guards who couldn't talk out have been absolutely fantastic since day one. And, they're, you know, we're Cork, and we're, we're trying, to, trying to get better, and we, hopefully we can be better the next day. Home part more the goals, looking back on it now. Yeah, look, we got two two important goals. I felt we probably could have got a couple of more. Even in the second half, we created a few chances. Just the last pass maybe given it a bit too late or whatever like that. But, you know, look, we were a little bit sloppy up front today. I have to say that, like, you know, and some players will be disappointed with our performances. But, look, we got the job done. Um, you know, we I thought defensively we were excellent. Our tackle count was brilliant. Our work rate from everybody, like, you know, look, like said Libby there, Anya Terry, unbelievable work. Like here when we were put her back midfield, you know, she was back there winning kickouts. Young Rachel Lee, a minor. You wouldn't think of the way she played there for the 15 minutes she was on. But like that's the, that's the squad we have. Look, and as I said, there's girls over there who got no run who are putting in the same work. And I think that's, as I said, testament to the commitment that these girls have and how good they are for this county and how what great ambassadors they are and what great people they are. Look, they're a great bunch. I enjoy working with them every day of the week. Um, you know, and look, we've we've we a good few weeks ahead of us now, getting ready for Donegal, and look, we'll be ready for them. Uh, Cork Captain Mara Callan, got you just lifted the Munster uh, TG Car Munster LGFA Senior Football Championship trophy. Lovely moment for you, but uh, more importantly, a big win for Cork today and a good performance. Yeah, 100%. We're definitely happy with our performance today. Like, it was really tit for tat. It was such a tight game. And look, to get over the line when it's at stake, really, like, we're really happy with that. And, you know, we'll gain a lot from this game as well. Yeah, Kerry really put it up to you. Those two goals are hugely important. 100%, yeah. Like, um, Kerry, they were outstanding today. Like, I mean, I suppose we kind of kept them without being able to attack. And that, like, kept us under less pressure I suppose in the back line then because they didn't get that much ball down at the forwards so credit is due to our forwards as well for really slowing them down trying to get the ball up to the field to get an attack for themselves um, And from your own point of view playing at Fitzgerald Stadium and playing in front of a big crowd just coming in towards the end lovely moment for the players and uh, hopefully a lot more things to come Yeah 100% I mean we're delighted today but we know you know we have our sights set on other things later on in the year as well so it's great to get the silverware back in the camp and also I suppose it hasn't been played since 2019 so look we're delighted to get the victory today. I'm here with uh, one of the Kerry managers Declan Quill following their Munster Munster football final loss to Cork here in Killarney in very very hot conditions. Declan commiserations on the result how do you assess your side's performance? Um, we were good in patches, um, probably in front of goals we'd be very disappointed really. Um, you know, we played brilliantly I suppose in the first 15-20 minutes, uh, just left a lot after us. Um, you know, Easy scores, what we would consider easy scores and the girls who had them well capable of taking them. So look, um, we are disappointed in that sense. Uh, we've kept battling to the end, we maybe had a chance of a, a goal there towards the end. Uh, referee gave a free out for a barge, I'd like to see it again but look maybe it was. Uh, but look Cork deserved their victory definitely like they were the better team on the day we have no crimes about that but uh, look it's that's the end of the Munster Championship we're looking forward now to two weeks time and uh, start of a new, a new competition Yeah and you're making progress all the time it's already been a very positive year and there's a lot more to come from this team as you said those, those missed chances aside you were you were with Cork throughout this whole match a lot to build on Yeah we do and you know you come back 
out of here today and saying, geez, that was absolutely awful. We're back to square one again. But we're not. Like, you know, the girls will take great heart from that in a way. When they, when they get over the next couple of days, they'll see, look, that we played well for, for good in a lot of patches in the game. Um, we were there with, you know, the second or third best team in Ireland uh, right till the very end. Um, and a bit of they had great experience, obviously. I think Kiro Sullivan kind of ran the game towards the end there when he brought her back to midfield and uh, she got on an awful lot of ball. So uh, just a bit of experience from Cork, you know, got them, got them over the line in the end. But uh, like I said, I thoroughly deserved it. Uh, but, you know, look, we're not finished for the year. We're going to regroup now Wednesday night and uh, go at it again hard. I think we've Galway in two weeks' time by the looks of it. I think we're in the group with Galway and Westmead by the looks of it. So, yeah, it's a new competition. Let's start again. Um, we've won competition one, won competition last and uh, one to go. Excellent stuff. Thank you for your time. Thank you. No bother. Uh, delighted to be joined here now by Cork's Laura Manny following her side's Munster Championship final win over Kerry. Great performance. Sorry, you must be delighted. Yeah, look, it had, the championship hasn't happened for the last few years now due to COVID and I only have one of these medals, so to get another one is, is sweet. And you popped up at a point there as well, fisted it over the bar, you're turning into an overlapping forward? <laughs> oh, I don't know about that, I was just in the right place at the right time and I thought the angle was a bit too tight for to shoot for goal, so I said that the handles suit me better. <laughs> All jokes aside, getting over Kerry was very important here today, big open pitch, playing at Fitzgerald Stadium, very hot conditions, but you got the job done. Yeah, like I said before, I think days like these are the ones that we want to play for. So coming out here, I think even a few of us commented on the length of the pitch. But I think an open wide pitch suits us as well. And Kerry were no pushovers either. They stuck with us until the final whistle. So we were happy to get over the line. Lots to look forward to now into the qualifying stages of the, of the All-Ireland. I know you'll enjoy this tonight, but Cork are on the right track. Yeah, exactly. Like the, This was one of the stepping stones that we wanted to target this year. So we... We're disappointed with the league, but we have the monster now and we need to push on and drive from this and not settle for just this. Yeah, and it's a fantastic day for Cork, but as you said, there's bigger prizes ahead. Yeah, exactly. Look, um, it's only one of the stepping stones we need to push on now in the Munster, in the All-Ireland series. We have a group with, I think, Donegal and Waterford. They're two very good teams. Waterford pushed us again um, in the semi-final and Donegal as well. They're a great team, so we'll be up for to it. Congratulations for everyone on the bench. Well done. Thanks, Jerry. Oh, it's Terry O'Sullivan, hearty congratulations, Munster champions and player of the match as well. You had a great game, but you'll be the first to say that this was a team effort. Yeah, definitely. I think from 1 to 15, the subs that came on, it was a, a huge effort by everyone and we're just delighted. Um, I suppose we haven't had Munster championship in two years now, so it's great to be going home with a bit of silverware. Seriously hot conditions out there as well today. The work rate was excellent and it had to be. Yeah, geez, I suppose it was the same for both teams, but it was very tough to play now, to be fair. But I suppose it's lovely weather. If you're playing too, we'd rather play in this than, you know building rain so we were um, delighted now with the win and you know Kerry are obviously a very good team so we were under no illusions coming down and we're just delighted now to come out with the win. Fitzgerald Stadium is in fantastic condition, some pitch to play on. Yeah it's lovely, you know, I suppose we played here in 2017 um, but this is only our second time, like a lot of the girls we didn't have played here at all before but sure it's in great condition and uh, you know, it's obviously a lot of tradition with it so and especially before the men's game now there was a nice crowd there, mainly Kerry but that didn't put us off either so um, it was great to get down here yeah. And more importantly, an all Ireland qualifying group look forward to Donegal and Waterford on the horizon, but you'll celebrate this first tonight. Definitely, yeah. I suppose you know, with COVID the last few years, there, has, there hasn't been a Mother's Championship and we've obviously only be, we got to the All-Ireland and All-Ireland semi-finals. We actually haven't won silver in our while, so you know, I suppose you have to kind of celebrate those two. And then we have three weeks now that we can work hard, so we'll enjoy this now and um, look forward to the first group game in three weeks' time. Congratulations and well done. Thanks, sir.
Uh, joined here now by Emma Cleary of the Cork Senior Football Team who have just beaten Kerry to win the Munster Championship here in Fitzgerald Stadium, Killarney. Emma, first of all, congratulations. You stuck away a penalty expertly into the top corner. Uh, is this something you've been practising an awful lot recently because it was some penalty? Um, yeah, I suppose um, I definitely kind of practised them at every training there the last few weeks and I suppose I knew uh, Shane said it to me before the Waterford game that if we got one that I was on them. So I knew that was there again today if it did happen and look, look, luckily it went in and we got the win so it's all that matters Hot weather out there today a lot of hard work went in work rate was excellent from Cork including yourself Yeah very hot but I suppose it was hot for both sides so we just needed to make sure that we outworked them and I, I definitely think we did that um, and we, we, we base everything on hard work this year and I think from 1-15 to we all showed that today how happy are you to come down to Kerry, get the win and now build ahead of uh, tough matches against Donegal and Waterford? Oh sure, look, it's brilliant. Like any day you beat Kerry down in Killarney on Munster final day, like you have to be happy with that. Um, it's just another step in the process this year, as Shane keeps saying. it's, it's uh, We're doing it in steps and I suppose it's another step um, to get back to Go Park later this year. But look, we'll enjoy today now and um, it's great to be bringing the cup home. Everybody on the bench is delighted for you. Well done, McClary. Thanks, million. The Big Red Bench. Game on. Saturday and Sunday from 6pm. Head coach at DCU Mercy Basketball Club and a respected high-performance innovator, Mark Ingle is a full-time basketball coach who has coached on every level for Ireland. Mark spoke to me on the Big Red Bench about the rip-and-run basketball camp he set up back in 1998 along with fellow camp directors Mark Scannell and Adrian Fulton. Mark explained why the Rip and Run Basketball Camp is still as popular as ever. Delighted to be joined now on the line here on the Big Red Bench by the head coach at DCU Mercy Basketball and a high performance coach as well as uh, one of the founders and per- people behind Rip and Run Basketball. It is Mark Ingle. Mark, you're very welcome to the Big Red Bench. Thank you very much. Delighted to talk to you. Uh, it's great to talk to you too. Um, I'm just going to ex- first of all, I'm just going to give a brief explanation of what Rip and Run Basketball is, and then let you expand on it. Um, but basically, it was founded in 1998 by camp directors Mark yourself here, uh, a good friend of the show, um, the address UCC Glenn Moyer and Coach of the Year Mark Scannell and Adrian Fulton, um, an ex-Irish international player. And what it is, Rip and Run is a series of basketball camps that coach the game of basketball in a method that is fun and enjoyable to players of all ages. It brings out the very best in coaching from all around the world. Uh, Every year coaches from Real Madrid, Barcelona, the United States, Great Britain and Ireland come together to share their expertise with players at the Rip and Run Basketball Camp. So Mark, that's what it is, but um, if you just want to expand on it, why you and the other two lads started this and how successful has it been? Well, it's been very successful um, from a basketball uh, viewpoint because it's exactly what it says on the tin, is that it bring coaches and players from all over the world, really. Um, it started off in 1998, 1998 and, uh, you know, we'd all gone to camps as players ourselves and then later as coaches. And just from observing other camps, we felt that we could, you know, improve on the type of camps that, that players were coming to and also the method of, you know, teaching the younger players um, the latest techniques in, um, you know, getting open and defending and running and transition in, you know, uh, shooting and, you know, even in tactics. So even bringing the, bringing um, the game around to doing more of the game-related um, scenarios. 
so that, you know, when players go back to their clubs or their schools, they're used to playing a possession where, you know, they're two points up with seconds to go or one point down with 10 seconds to go or, you know, how to free somebody up, how to free up their best player or, you know, get the shot that they want within the game. So um, that's really where it, it started from. And it has developed over the last few years. So about 10 years ago, we started bringing in um, like really top-of-the-line coaches, as I said, from Real Madrid. And more probably importantly, that they were, you know, the, the national te- team's coach from Spain, under 15, under 17, and under 20. And um, we also have the French national coach of the under 18 team. So we're very um, mindful of bringing in people that are suited to the age group of the players. You know, sometimes they bring in a top coach. You know, they're so used to coaching at the legal level, you know, or in the Spanish first division, that it might relate to the kids. But we've been very lucky that anyone that we have brought in um, has been very beneficial to the age group that uh, we try and teach to at our camps. So I think this year now we've got two Spanish coaches coming in, one from San Sebastian, uh, Fran Garcia, and another one from Celta Vigo. In Celta Vigo, your listeners might be well used to with the soccer team, but they've one of the biggest basketball clubs in Spain. And Javi Romain is coming in um, for a week two and Frank Garcia coming in for a week one, along with um, some American coaches and also, you know, our, even our to the three directors are all coaching in the Super League. Myself and Mark Scannell, both with CCU and Glenmore, as I said, and Adrian Fulton, who's with Star to Sea, who were, you know, the Super League men's champions last year, you know, so... Um, we kind of know what it's about and the younger coaches that we bring in usually all have international experience or are coaching in schools and clubs at under 18 cup and under 20 cup level. And that's probably the most significant thing is that a lot of these kids are getting ready next year for the under 18 cups and, you know, the under 16 national, um, national competitions in schools. And an awful lot of the players that have won those competitions have come through the camp. You know, I can name Susan Morn, Orla O'Reilly, Jessica Scannell, you know, for me, Vanessa Burke, Emma Brady, Lindsay Peace. You know, anybody who's anybody in basketball has come to rip and run. Yeah, and it sounds like a fantastic idea, not just to hold like the camp with quality coaches like yourself, Adrian and Mark, but to bring in the foreign coaches really gives it um, a lot of prestige. And it's obviously been a success when you name some of the names that you've listed off there. For those people um, who don't know or are still interested in booking it, you need to move fast if you want to book up for it now because it is booking out very quickly. Ripandrun.com, R-I-P-N-R-U-N dot com is the website and if you go to book now you get all the details there of what's involved and um, how much it costs and for how long it's on but just just finally on it uh, on it mark i mean you obviously will endorse it you've seen the benefit of it where are the actual camps held this summer well this part i mean last year because we had the year before we had the covid and uh, we moved the camp to dcu last year and um the reason for that was basically we've in obviously better facilities than any place. Obviously, we're in a university. Um, we've better facilities than we had before. And we were also uh, able to add in the benefit 
of introducing um, the youngsters to strength and conditioning, okay, and bringing in like top class strength and conditioning coaches. Um, so, you know, again, getting them ready for, because we're held in August, we're getting them ready for their pre season training. So, we're opening up their eyes to the benefit of, you know, S&C coaches fitting into the schedule, okay, with all the basketball stuff that they're going to do. And usually what happens is when you start preseason training then on the third or fourth week of August, which is normally our basketball preseason training, the kids are in good shape and they're sharp, you know. So um, we moved it to DCU last year. It's on the DCU St. Pat's this year. Okay, um, we've got like four gyms on the ground. Um, we've also the use of Greendale Community School, which has like four outdoor courts and a very good indoor indoor hall there as well. So we're able to move the kids around to bring them to the best facilities. Excellent stuff. And as I said, ripandrun.com, R-I-P-N-R-U-N.com and go to Booknote to find out all the details there, but do it quickly as it is filling up very, very fast. Mark, this past season... Um, DCU Mercy finished fourth in the Miss Quarterly Women's Super League and were runners-up um, to the address UCC Glanmire in the Paddy O'Connor National Cup final on the back of some fantastic and some consistent displays from the likes of Hannah Thornton, uh, Megan Connolly, Bailey Greenberg, just to name but a few. How would you assess this past season for DCU and what are you looking forward to the most for the coming season? Well, it's a good question because um, we probably overachieved you know, getting to the um, National Cup final, you know, there, there's like, the address plan were clearly out on their own last year. I mean, they proved that by winning the, the League, the Cup and the the National Championship playoffs at the end of the season. So, you know, no one was under any illusions of how good they were. You know, they, they obviously had Claire Media, they signed from Port Leash, uh, aligned with you know, two good Americans and a very good um, squad that already existed in Glanmire. So they added in the right places. And um, in the National Cup final itself, you know, we took a pretty good performance. They pulled away from us, you know, with four or five minutes to go. And probably just because they had a bit more firepower than us, you know. Um, you know, they had probably four scorers. Anya McKenna had a great year. Um, two Americans were very consistent and Claire Melia you know, Claire Melia was probably the difference maker so um, you know, for us to for us we're normally like in a battle with Glamour for the league or the cup but um, I think last year we got out of the blocks really early you know, we hadn't we had a lot of young players on the bench, we brought up four players from the under 20s and it was our first year so you know, we didn't have the strength and depth that we would normally have, you know. But to answer your question, and um, I'm sure Mark will be listening to this, <laughs> we'll, we'll be getting ready for next season, you know. We'll be looking to make some additions, and, you know, a couple of our players will be a little bit older with a bit of National League experience under their belt. And um, we'll, hope, we'll hope to give it a right go next year, you know, in all confidence. 
I have no doubt that you will, Mark. That's good fighting talk, and I'm sure Mr. Scannell will give his response <laughs> in the coming weeks. Just before I let you go, um, I, look, we could talk for hours, but there's, there is something I did want to bring up uh, away from the basketball. You're a high-performance coach, and you spent some time and a lot of time with the Dublin senior football team under Jim Gavin. I mean, we haven't time to ask you like what the whole experience was from it, but what was it like to be immersed in that kind of uh, in that environment, and what did you take out of it and bring back to basketball? Well, it was a great experience, first of all. You know, it is a high-performance environment. Um, you know, Jim Gavin deserves an awful lot of credit for opening his eyes, not just to me, but to other um, people that work in different fields. And, um, you know, he's, he's very open to learning any sort of new techniques that's going to improve his team. And I think year on year, you saw something new added to the dub each year, you know? Like, there's no doubt um, they already had, you know, Jason Sherlock, who had a basketball background there, you know? But they had other expertise, like Declan Darcy and, you know, a whole host of me- of mentors that were, you know, very good in their area, including scouting and statisticians, all that type of stuff. Um, like, Jim's main strength is his management, you know? You know, while he also was a good coach, so he was on the field hands-on, you know, with the players every evening, you know, that, that they trained. But also his attention to detail was probably second to none, you know. Now, granted, most of the time, those players are getting ready for, you know, three or four huge games in the season. So they're kind of gearing their season towards that, you know. Um, where some Where some of the games maybe at the start of the season when they're only coming back after an All-Ireland, you know, run, um, it wouldn't be as intense as it would be when it was getting to August, September. So they knew how to gear a team up to, you know, the quarterfinals, semifinals and All-Ireland. So watching them, how they prepared in every area was enlightening for me. And that's probably what I brought back a little bit to, you know, DCU Mercy. In fact, you know, two years ago, we won the league with Slam mm. Merlin toward the fourth spot. So um, there was definitely some influences there that I brought back to, the, to our club. Fascinating stuff, Mark. Well, listen, thanks very, very much for taking time to speak to us here on the Big Red Bench. You came highly recommended from Mr. Scannell, a man you know very, very well, and uh, he was dead right. Uh, it's been a fascinating interview. For those, again, just to remind people, the uh, ripandrun.com, it's R-A-P-N-R-U-N.com, and there's an opportunity there to book and see what's involved in the upcoming summer camps. Well worth your time if you're serious about your basketball. Three fantastic coaches and lots of foreign coaches of equal talent coming in as well. Um, go to ripandrun.com to find out about that. But Mark, it's been lovely talking to you. And maybe as the season progresses, the new season comes around, we'll get a, we'll get you on with Mark and the two of you can be bantering back and forth. I think, I, think, I think that would make good radio, actually. So we'll see. We look, we look forward to that. <laughs> thank you, sir. And uh, from everybody in the Big Red Bench, thanks, Mark Ingle. We'll talk to you again soon. Okay, thanks, sir. Bye-bye. That's it for another Big Red Bench Women in Sport podcast. Remember to subscribe to the Big Red Bench on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, and you can also listen online at redextra.ie. Don't forget to tune into the Big Red Bench with Rory O'Hagan, Colm O'Sullivan, and guests between 6 and 7 p.m. on the radio every Saturday and Sunday. Follow the Big Red Bench across all our social media channels, as well as visiting our official website, redfm.ie. The Big Red Bench. Saturday and Sunday from 6 p.m. Cork's Red FM.